Welcome to Lily High on Life. And today we have a truly special guest, Mr. Warren Mundine AO. Warren, welcome to Lily High on Life. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that sounds great. You know, nothing like it, having a bit of positivity high on life. <laughs> And, you know, Warren, you are such an extraordinary man. I'm going to tell the audience why in just a moment. But you're not on the show because of how fabulous and extraordinary you are. You're actually on the show because you are the epitome of Lily High on Life. You're somebody that when they're not happy with the direction their life is going, will find a way to change that. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I always, uh, I'm a pretty simple person, you know. I don't try and make things complex. I try and break it down into parts and and work from there. But it's uh, yeah. But if I run into a brick wall, then I work at work about how I get around that brick wall or whatever. Yeah. Now you do have an order of Australia. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks for that. I, uh, I was actually surprised. <laughs> Don't know why. You're also an extraordinary <laughs> businessman, and so we'd like to hear a little bit more about your businesses. And you are also my personal favourite, the chairman of CPAC, which I just attended this last weekend, the Conservative Public Action Committee. And as though that were not enough, you were actually a um, Labour member Member of Parliament, and then a almost liberal member of Parliament from one extreme to the other, and on top of all of that, and I say this carefully because you're also Aboriginal. You're one of our exalted species of citizenship in Australia, and um, and I love the fact that you don't think that matters. In a sense. Oh, in a self, no, it doesn't. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of Aboriginal. Uh, you know, I'm of the uh, Bundjalung, uh, Gumbenga and Ewan people of the east coast of New South Wales, uh, mm-hmm. Gumbenga and Bundjalung in the, in the northern, north coast and the Ewan on the, on the south coast. But I'm also I'm very proud of uh, the fact that I have also Irish blood, Um which probably explains my drinking habit, but um, <laughs> the uh, but yeah, you know, there, there you know, there's uh, an Irish bloke come out, uh, Donovan, and uh, he married a Aboriginal woman on the south coast back in the 1870s, 1860s, and uh, wow, and, uh, and from my mother's side of the family, that's where they're descended from. Have you been to Ireland? Uh, yes, I have actually. I was I was doing some business in. Uh, uh, in uh, London and that, and we had a bit of t- spare time, so we jumped on the famous Ryan Air flight and went across to Dublin and, uh, and and then went down to the south coast of Ireland, uh, down to Cork, County Cork, uh, because that's where my great-great-grandfather come from, in that West Cork area. Yeah. And were there any relatives still there that you were able to connect with? Oh, well, it was quite funny uh, because when you uh, Irish people are different, but you could only have one spot of blood of Irish in you, but you're Irish. And <laughs> and I'll give, I'll give you a funny story. When I got elected president of the Australian Labor Party, I um, uh, the headline in in, in Ireland in, uh, was. Uh, uh, Irish man elected uh, president of the Australian Labor Party. So I still got the paper here at home. As a <laughs> and, that, and it was great. It was great catching up with people, hearing the stories. I think half of them were, were pretty uh, untrue. But anyway, it was good fun to sit around with a, with a few ales and, uh, and listen and chat and, and get on. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't pick up an Irish accent? No, I didn't. Uh, that, I didn't at all. I'm, I'm, Fortunately, yeah. Warren, but I did hear a funny story about it. The, the Donovans, of course, or we call them Donovans. They call them Donovans over there. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, we uh, we picked the wrong side in uh, uh, William of Orange versus uh, Bron- Bonnie Prince Charles, and and uh, they took our land off us. So I said, uh, "Gee, I'm, I'm a two-time loser." They took it <laughs> off here and they took it off there. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a great story. I've got no um, Irish blood. I've never been to Ireland, and yet I can still put on an Irish accent at the drop of a hat, and I'm not I that know, good at accents. I just don't know where it comes from. Touch of the bone. Well, you know, the Irish have been everywhere, so you don't know. <laughs> Warren, tell us a little bit about the businesses you're in, because you've created those, you're, you've really created your own businesses from the ground up, and they say this is a difficult thing to do, but you don't seem to consider anything overly difficult. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I found out early in my life that I was a very bad employee, and so I had to uh, had to find my own job because um, I always wanted to do my own thing, and so, so that frustrates people when uh, when they're in large corporations. And so uh, you know, I spent my time you know in a factory. You know, I was a fitter and turner on the floor of a factory, uh, Delta Engineering in uh, Silverwater, and then I went on to the Sydney uh, Water Board and, and worked there doing. Uh, uh, get, um, pumping stations and uh, water stations and sewage stations and uh, and sewer lines and then I went from there to um, uh, got into the taxation office for a while and then uh, then I went off to to the South Australian Institute of Technology which is now the South Australian University and uh, and I was thinking oh, gee I'm gonna you know, what am I going to do? And then you know, people just kept on giving, throwing jobs at me. So uh, that was fun. And and then I realised around 2013, I said, I bet, uh, 2012, I, I thought, no, I can't do this anymore. I've got to do my own thing. And so that's when I left and set up my own businesses, yeah. Warren, how do you go from fitter and turner into the taxation office? I mean, you're talking about a very hands-on type of profession um, and then you go to a desk and become a numbers man yes it's I, I always I was always looking for experiences and and uh, and, th- and thing you know learning stuff I was always about learning in fact I'm a great believer that if you if you don't learn if you're not learning anything go see a doctor because you might be dead uh, so I uh, was very very much into that so uh, look I always saw myself going somewhere and doing something and and not being uh, trapped in into a certain professions a certain life I always knew that I I wanted something you know I was always hungry for things and that's what made me you know drive me along that line and I had a great time as a fitter and turner uh, in fact as kids I, I give talks as high school kids and uh, this year 10 kid asked me this question that he says, so what was your plan? You know, you're, a, you're this young 16 year old kid in a factory and what was, so what did you, what was your plan to get to where you wanted to go? You know, like president of the Labor Party. And my answer was, I never thought about it really. Uh, I said, that's the first time I got asked that question. And then, then I started thinking about it and I said, well, uh, you know, if I told my parents at 16 that I was, had this plan to become president of the Australian Labor Party, they probably would have put me in a mental institution. <laughs> but it was, um, it was, I, I was just hungry for knowledge and hungry f- for things. So I'd look and I'd see a hill and I and I think, you know, what, what, what's that view look like there? And then I go to that hill and then I see another hill that's got something broken and I'll go over there and say, I can fix that. And, and then all of a sudden, here I am. And Warren, you were one of 11 children, is that correct? Yeah, I was nine. I was number nine of 11 children, uh, eight boys and three girls. Uh, the girls, in fact, I'm working on a book about my sisters. They, uh, you know, like around 1960, 1959, 1960, because I come from a large family. I'm number nine, so I had older siblings, 20 years, 18 Seventeen and uh, fifteen years older than me, and so they, um, uh, so th- they were going into the banking world. And now, uh, it's just an amazing story. My sister Anne, that she uh, went into banks, uh, worked for the Rural Bank of New South Wales, uh, then went on to Toronto, Canada, and then on to Zurich in uh, Switzerland, and then unfortunately she. Uh, 
contracted cancer and uh, passed away. But the idea of a woman, let alone an Aboriginal woman, working in a bank in the, the 1960s is is quite incredible to think about. Absolutely. And, uh, and then my other sister, Captain uh, uh, Olive, who was, she was the second oldest girl. She, she was working in a bank too. She went to the Rural Bank in South Wales and and then she was discovered by David Jones. Uh, they were looking for something that said something about Australia and, and a model and uh, then she was modelling uh, for David Jones. In fact, Wow. You know, and then she, uh, you know, uh, on the 170th anniversary of David Jones, they had an exhibition of her. Uh, that made us really proud. She was on this day tonight, and all the newspapers and stuff. And, and then it was Maggie Eckhart and Maggie Tabra and all yeah. those. So she was modelling with them, and yeah, so that was amazing. Then she. Uh, went and become a school teacher and was teaching out at Mount Druid, uh, you know, kids and that because she had that was a passion uh, of education for young kids. So, and, and she went out in a very tough area in those days, Mount Druid. I believe it's still this tough today, but she, she went out there and had a great time. Yeah. We'll look forward to, to that book coming out. It sounds like yeah. it's going to be really, really interesting. But, Warren, yeah. I know you don't know what it's like to be an only child, but being number nine of 11, was there a lot of interaction? Was there a lot of talk? Were, were your brothers and sisters like you in their outlook and in their seeing themselves as as reaching high places. How did you fit in that family dynamic? Well, of course, I was the most uh, good-looking and, uh, and intelligent of all obviously, my brothers and Obviously, obviously. <laughs> no, uh, we, actually, you were never lonely, let's put it that way. You were never lonely. Uh, and uh, and it was a great experience because I had because you know I had an older brother who's twenty years older than me. He he served in he went in two tours of um, Vietnam. He was a regular soldier. He was in the, a confrontaza in the mid sixties when the Indonesia invaded Malaysia. He was in Borneo and the Malaysian Peninsula. He he was there with the communist uprising wow. in Malaysia. And he travelled the world. He, you know, he's at West Point. He, he was with the Welsh Guards at Buckingham Palace, and and so on. And he had this amazing, you know, incredible person. And you know, most people, you know, when they got an older brother who's been very successful in that, uh, right? And, you know, and Mum's always talking about me. Why don't you? Why don't you, Why aren't you like Roy and all that? <laughs> well, we, we, you know, we didn't get really angry about that stuff. We, we were just so proud of each other and of our older brother uh, that you know that was great you know it's really good uh, John my brother John is the third oldest boy he uh, uh, that's spelled D-J-O-N he he went he was the first of the family to go to university and that and he went off and did an economics degree at, at Macquarie University then he went on to uh, then he after about five years uh, he was working for in the corporate world in Sydney. He quit and he went bush and went up into northeast Arnhem Land and started painting. Oh my god! Which was a shock and horror of my parents. I said, "Oh my god, he's going to go to university." And he was in the corporate world, and all of a sudden he goes and runs off to northeast Ireland. Well, for us younger kids, we always knew he was going to do that because when you go to my parents' house today. It is a concrete garage, and when you go into the garage, it's just artwork all around it. And he painted that wall, and he painted the doors, and he did everything while he was growing up. So we always knew he was going to get into art, uh, but it was a bit of a shock for mum and dad. <laughs> uh, but after he became uh, one of Australia's leading curators uh, of Aboriginal art, he worked for. for um, uh, Donald Trump years ago uh, buying Aboriginal art from them, the wow. courts and all people like that. So you can't just skip tra- over that story. How did he work for Donald <laughs> Trump in the States? An Aboriginal well, boy we, from Melbourne, uh, from Sydney. Yeah, well, he was uh, he was a um, he become world renowned about setting up art exhibitions and and Aboriginal art and stuff like that. 
and he was at the Imperial Museum in, in England and at uh, the uh, Primitive Museum in uh, Frankfurt and Osaka and other places travelling the world. And, of course, he got a reputation and, and that's how he, he was got, got rung up one day and said, come to New York and I want to uh, you know, purchase Aboriginal art. So and that's what he did. And so he was working for Donald Trump as an art advisor? An art advisor and purchaser, yeah. Awesome. Love that. Um, So, but when you were growing up, it was a pretty full house. And would you say that you were living still typically as, as one would imagine Aboriginals were living back in those days with, in, were you in a proper house? Were you in a humpy? Were your parents in a humpy? Just uh, what was my that like? Yeah, well, my pa- my father, uh, he uh, come out of Bayougal. He was born in Bayougal, which is about 80 kilometres northwest up the Clarence River from Grafton in New South Wales. Uh, it's fair, and that's where the Mundane family come from. Right. And that's, that's where we worked and... Uh, uh, the family we worked on cattle stations and that out there, and and my father he did live in a humpy, and my grandparents, great grandparents, it's amazing when I was writing my book. Uh, I, I, you know, if you you go out the cattle stations where my family worked, and you see the it's been in the family for a while that, that cattle station and that they have incredible archives and, and we come across photos of my great great grandparents and and, uh, and and family members and one of my pride is on my computer as a screensaver I have a photo of my dad around 1918 1919 uh, in my father's my grandfather's carrying him as a baby Wow, and, uh, and it's and uh, that would and it's uh, and it looks like a big family gathering because in the photos there's about twenty Aboriginal people who are relatives of my my grandparents and that yeah, and amazing memories to 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 have and hold on to, and your dad oh, was yeah, yeah. and your dad was pretty strict with you from what I gather. Oh, he wasn't strict with me because I was a perfect child. Um, yes, he was strict yes. with my brothers and sisters. <laughs> no, he was. He was. He was a very old-fashioned man, a man of his times. You know, you can imagine a person who survived through the Spanish flu era, and uh, my both my parents did, and through the Great Depression, and and then through the Second World War and post Second World War. It was. Uh, he was a. Uh, an amazing, amazing uh, person, and but at the same time, he was a very proud man. He was about six foot three. He had his straight back, uh, always looked in your eye, uh, and demanded uh, that you you had good manners, good morals, um, uh, and you worked. You know, as a young child, because we're from a poor family. Uh, we used to go down to sawmills and collect wood and go in the paddocks and collect cow manure and horse manure and then take it into graft and then uh, sell it uh, to the to people to, to put in their gardens and, the, and their fireplaces and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I even have a photo. I think I'm about six and I'm I'm standing at this sawmill with, all, with this wood uh, and that. So, so he was a bloke who always worked, very disciplined. He used to get up at 5 a.m. every morning to go to work. And he um, he did that right up to his death. And that's how we knew he, he died because my brother went to uh, down to the news because the first thing you do is get up 5 a.m., have a shave, clean his teeth, put some water under his arms and clean himself up a bit. And then he'd go down to the news agents and collect his papers. Uh, and my brother went down to the news agents and, uh, and the news agent said, oh, where's your father? And he said, what do you mean? He said, we didn't come in and got his, uh, to get his papers today. And so then my brother went around the house and that's where he found him uh, laying up in bed. Oh, God. Dead. <laughs> you know, what a way to go. Yeah. And he was in 92 and he was still mowing the lawn, still washing clothes, still cooking foods, a very independent man. And what do you remember of your mother um, from your early years and her relationship oh. with your father? Well, 
just to finish on my dad, my dad always had a little saying. He, if, if we asked him about, oh, Mr. Johnson down the road or something like that, he, he only had two two ways of talking about people. He'd say, he'd say, oh, that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's a worker, and that meant that they got up every day and went to work and fed their families and looked after their families. Or he'd, he'd say, Mr. Johnson is not a worker. And that would have the, have the connotation that they didn't get up to go to work and they didn't feed their families and didn't look after people. Right. And so he was very strict and moral about that stuff. And, and of course, mum and dad just always heard us up on Sunday morning and we weren't allowed to have breakfast until we went to Mass. And same with Christmas, we weren't allowed to open our Christmas presents until we went to Mass and stuff like that. We went to Catholic schools. So they were very, very uh, strong about it. Uh, who they are and and and, uh, and very high and respect people. Yeah, right. And their relationship there with each other, with all you kids around, was that? Did you see much of um, a personal relationship between them, or was it mainly um, managing life and you kids? Well, when you got a lot of kids around, you don't have much time for each other. Uh, I presume my parents never had sex. It was, uh, you know, yes. a, a thought that's never got into my head, and I don't want it. <laughs> but they had eleven kids, uh, and that, but it was it was about us. We we were the centre of their attention uh, all the time, uh, and they and you know they made sure we we were up early in the morning and we did our did our chores and and did our work before we went to school and uh, we all went to school and, uh, and then they uh, and they made sure we come home straight home from school and, and uh, did our chores again and because and everyone had to do things in the house yep. uh, and, and uh, I remember sometimes uh, a couple of times uh, my brothers and I were jumping up and down the bed in the probe so she made us carry the bed down to the local blacksmith and uh and get it fixed, and then we had to carry it all the way back. <laughs> it's, but, but you know, we, she was strict about her, especially with her boys. That the boys had to learn everything, so we learned the sew and we learned the iron. And, wow, uh, very you know, we, impressive. We and we learned the washing and you know, after dinner. And I remember I got a, a good kick up the bum once when I was we were ordered to, you know, wash up the plates and everything after dinner. And I said, oh, why should us boys do it? You know, shouldn't the girls do it? Because they need to learn how to do it for their husbands. Uh, anyway, she, <laughs> God, she went, went off ahead of me there. Uh, my ears are still, are still ringing 50 years later. Um, but so, so, so they, they wanted us to be self-sufficient. Uh, do things, you know. Dad used to sit us out afternoon after school, and he'd come home from work, and we'd sit around the back uh, of the house polishing our shoes. We used to do spit and polish. That's the way he always wanted it. I, I still do it today. I'm, I'm sort of got it beaten into me. But anyway, it was. Uh, and it was. But it also gave us a time together because you know he was always yes. working. So we're sitting around, and while you're polishing shoes, you're talking, and so you know, that was our sort of little chit chat time with all us boys and and that, and uh, yeah, so it was good. <laughs> so Warren, I, I have to ask you. I was going to wait till later, yeah. but when you describe this um, very structured, very moralistic, very do the right thing life, how on earth did you come? to be fired from SBS for tweeting profanity. <laughs> uh, no, that wasn't the reason I, I left. The reason I left was because I was... Um, oh, you, <laughs> yeah, said that, thing, that was, you said things on uh, a tweet. I, 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 should, I shouldn't have said, no, I had to apologise. I, I shouldn't have said what I said. But I, I was right in, in outing the person because they were journalists. I have uh, no doubt. I, have, uh, I agree with. I, have, <laughs> I, by, I by the way, I agree with absolutely everything I've heard you say so far. So <laughs> I have no doubt. Yeah. yeah so so I, I should have said what I said. Uh, so you know, I apologise, and, and we moved on. It was a very gracious about it, and I was. But I, I reminded him that he shouldn't go out and put out people's private 
mobile numbers to run a political campaign. A journalist shouldn't do that. Of course. But, and, of course, I got in a lot of trouble. It was like fun. <laughs> I was even, even mentioned in Parliament. Uh, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> These <laughs> things <laughs> happen. So let me ask you, let me just go back there a little bit as well. Um, you are now on your third marriage, I believe? Yeah, that's right. I'm... Uh, yeah. What did you learn? How how did you, tell me about how you got married the first time? How you jumped into it, and then what you've learned as you've got as you've gone through? Because there are no mistakes. Yeah, no, no. Look, what I I've learned a lot actually. Um, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to be a very wealthy man, don't get divorced. That was the first lesson. <laughs> um, the uh, what well, I was a very young. Boy, I was, you know, seventeen, eighteen, and and I was, I, I always saw myself because of my, you know, Aboriginal and Catholic upbringing, uh, that I would, you know, marry about twenty four and 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 go on and, and work hard and, and do things. But by that time, I would have finished my trade and and been out working and and been able to buy a house and that. Uh, what happened is uh, I broke one of the golden rules, which is pretty common with young boys back in those days, you know, the 70s, early 70s. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, and when I uh, I met this uh, this woman uh, and we got on quite well, uh, I didn't hold back. And, uh, and of course, uh, she got pregnant. And, <laughs> and then I, uh, so I all shot it off on the first go, I think that's the word. And I ended up... Um, yeah, she was pregnant, and so I did. Uh, I I thought it was my duty uh, because of, and uh, for her and for the baby, and we married. Uh, uh-huh. I look back now, and I think yeah, we were too young, and, and uh, we uh, well, look, it just wasn't meant to be. And uh, but you know, we we worked for seven years and tried it, and uh, and it just didn't work out. Um, I then that was one of the things that motivated me then to go to the site and uh, and start to improve, uh, improve my life and go up the ladder and stuff like that. Um, my second wife, I I met her through my sister and um, I haven't spoken to my sister since. No, <laughs> <laughs> she she, um, she was an Aboriginal person and. Uh, a very well respected woman. She 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 went through teachers college and and, and taught at Moree and in high school and, and and taught in Dubbo primary schools and and she was uh, eventually could become a manager of a TAFE college at Western New South Wales and she's a professor now at um, Sydney University. Uh, really highly intelligent and incredible person um, and. Uh, to be honest, that was the love of my life. It was, um, you know, we built a, a life together. Uh, we uh, had uh, four children of our own, plus two children from the first marriage, because I, I, uh, I ended up with the children, and we so we had six children in the house, and then, and then uh, we uh, we fostered a couple of kids as well because. Uh, this friend of ours come to the house uh, working for community services and that so, uh, she said we got this Aboriginal girl who had been sexually abused as a child as a young child, six, seven years old mm-hmm. and uh, the, the, fo- the foster father who was looking after him went to jail and, and the mother went back to, uh, to Holland, she came from Holland so they needed someone to look after him and, and uh, I I remember saying to them, you know, look, we're not on the, the, the listeners, but they, they kept on saying, yeah, but we thought you'd be good. You and Lynette was my second wife's name. And, uh, and, and I said, no, I, we can't do it because I don't think I could handle a child who's been sexually abused. But the problem was, this is where I made my mistake. We we're in, living in Armadale, and that, they said, oh, you know, a good restaurant or something we could go out to and have a feed because, you know, uh, we we are staying overnight in in uh, Armadale, and we'll take the, the, the child back. And I said, "Oh, don't be stupid! You, you can have dinner here. We'll cook dinner for you." And uh, and of course, she she never left. Then she, once we met her, that was it. She's uh, given us um, three beautiful grandchildren, 
and, uh, and, and we love her just as much as our own flesh and blood. And it's, it was great. Great story. Even you yeah. can be wrong sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Not sometimes. often. Not often. <laughs> I don't know. And you I didn't have nine yet, so you're working your way up. So all good. Yeah, and it was good because um, from a very young age, my earliest memories, I always, I always wanted to have a family and wanted to have children and and I always wanted to be uh, better than my father because uh, he was a lovely man, a beautiful man, and that. But his old fashioned uh, in that he just worked. He he's, he told me once he wasn't my friend, and but uh, he was my father, and his job was to make sure that there was food on the table, uh, there was a roof over our head, uh, we got a good education, and we were able to then build ourselves a career. And that's what he saw his job as, yeah. And and most of you did that. Are there? I've got to ask you because even mm. even when there are two or three kids in a family, let alone eleven, um, do you all talk to each other? Are there any major blues to the to the stage where people actually stop talking, or do you are you able to resolve amongst yourselves? Uh, uh, well, we did, we, I tell you what, it probably shocked people when I was about to say, uh, when we were young kids, we were just boys in the country and, and we used to do mad things, climb trees, fall out of them, break arms. I remember, remember uh, my two uh, bro uh, brothers just immediately older than me, they come to me and said, oh, we wanted to play cowboys and Indians. And I said, oh, that's a good game. I'll, I'll play with you. So the next minute they tied me up. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, oh, you're a horse thief. We don't like horse thieves. <laughs> and so, they, they, so then they chucked a rope around me and threw me out and tried to hoist me up a tree. And I'll never forget my father's face as he stepped out the back door. And here I was just about to be swinging off this tree, being hung for being a horse thief. And, uh, and he just... I, I never seen him move so fast in all my life. He sort of dropped the paper, sprinted, you know, about twenty meters, and uh, you know, smacked smack my brothers, cut me down, and made sure I was over or okay, and then smacked my brothers again. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but that is hilarious. Did they really not realise that you could die? I don't know. I, I, I think they just wanted to kill me because I was my parents' favourite child. But anyway, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is how slow I am. I, I remember about a month later, we, uh, we were they come to me again and said, oh, "Would you like to play Cowboys and Indians?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> Not learning from my first experience. And anyway, then they said, "Well, you're the cowgirl." And I thought, I'm not a cowgirl. And I said, yes, you are. We need a cowgirl in this game, and you're it. And I said, I'm not going to be a cowgirl. So I, I climbed up on the rocking horse we had there. And the next thing I remember, because Peter, I remember with my brother Peter, he, he hit the rocking horse, and I fell off it, and I fell down and busted my jaw. And uh, next thing I remember, I'm waking up in hospital. Uh, so, yeah, so we had a lot of fun. Uh, but we, we, my poor mother, I don't know how she put up with it. I remember once, because we didn't have a pool, we used to get a, a hose and put it in a circle in the backyard, and then my brother John would sit on his back and we'd sit on his feet, and he was like a, a springboard, and he'd kick us into the air, and we'd do this somersault and then land in this imaginary pool. Mum, <laughs> because she'd come outside, she looked and said, I bet you one of your boys is going to break break some bones and within five minutes my brother Philip he was kicked in the air landed on his arm and you heard this crack wow and, <laughs> and, and he got up and he's walking away because he knew he was going to be in trouble with mum so he's trying to hide his broken Perfect. arm absolutely and hilarious he, <laughs> and he looked at it. mum just sat there and looked at him and said I told you so <laughs> Did you get hauled off to the doctor or the hospital or? Yeah, yeah, we used to, yeah, she, she was forever, because we didn't have a car, so she was always marching us all down to the hospital all the time. But I think every couple of weeks one of us was being marched off to the hospital to get stitches or, you know, fixed broken bones or 
or magpie attacks or, you know, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> so actually, Warren, my, my, my original question about this actually referred to um, or was, was referring to uh, arguments or things that, um, that would upset you enough emotionally that you would stop talking to each other, things that happen when you're older. They say that most yeah. of the major things are to do with money, that people get upset with each other and stop talking to each other, but there are other slights of, um, of your being and your emotions that also cause really big rifts within families, or is that just something that never really touched you guys? We uh, we we we, uh, we were taught um, not to argue about money. Uh, you had to earn your money, uh, and no matter if you earn thirty dollars a week, which I did in one of my jobs. Or you earn thousands of dollars a week, a money, which is what my sister did, you know, in the banking world. It mm-hmm. was thousands, and, and that it was it was about work. We, we were taught that work was a virtue, and uh, and it was a great honour to to have a job and to work and and earn money. And yep. So we, we we never asked each other for money. Uh, we, you know, if we, even if we had, you know, the holes in our pants or whatever, or we uh, were struggling or anything like that, we never asked each other for money. Yeah. And, uh, and you never we, even uh, said, and you never <laughs> said things to each other or judged each other no, in a way. Uh, yeah. No, no, we did. We we, we make fun of each other from the yeah. silly things we did, uh, but that was in joking, and we'd all have a laugh and stuff like that. But that's one of the the wonderful things about that because I realised as you were answering me that you weren't trying to avoid my question. You really didn't understand even what I meant. And I say that with great joy and wonder because what what you don't really understand is today's wokeness because it's all about feelings being hurt so badly that you can't even talk to someone else. Oh, but yeah, yeah, I find that strange. I do. And I find it a, a, a sort of outside of my, my, my life, really. That's not to say that people... You know, and I've seen it with families and friends, you know, people who don't talk to each other for 20 years or something. Yes. In fact, I I know a bloke I work with, he he had, he never spoke for his, to his father from the age of 18 until his father died. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, every weekend when I was living in Sydney and my parents are still living in Sydney, uh, we used to go to the house every weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone come to the house. It was sort of like we hadn't left. And, yeah, and we said we just brought an extra tribe along, <laughs> and it was all these kids. Such and a wonderful then, uh, thing that I wish more people could experience. Yeah, and so and we always were taught that that because we had a, a kinship structure as well, an Aboriginal kinship structure. So my cousins were not cousins; they were brothers and sisters. Yes, and, and that's and that's how we we treated each other. And there, my aunties and uncles uh, were were uh, my parents, really, and they taught me things and 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 stuff. And we all got on uh, quite well. You know, we had we had our arguments and punch ups and and stuff like that. But uh, you know, it was never meant. Uh, it was never meant to. Uh, it was you never know, taken personally stuff. enough. That yeah, that never you. taken. And, and we were taught to also respect other people and, you know, and stuff because all the neighbours, in fact, all that, I, I can't remember, I don't even know the first name of my neighbours. Uh, we used to call them Mrs. Williams or Mr. Williams and and Mr. Smeraldo and Mrs. Moraldo yeah. and all that type. So that's what we, we did all the time. You know, yeah. we... Uh, we uh, in fact, uh, when I, uh, six years ago, I went to a, f- a funeral of a friend I've known since kindergarten, and it was the first time I learned his, his mother's 
fabulous as his, his mother's funeral, and it was the first time I, I actually heard of her first name. Wow! Uh, you know, yeah. you know, that's sixty years, and I never knew what her first name was. Yeah, and you're and, not and really that old. I mean, to <laughs> for you to have these values. So yeah. let me ask you also about, um, you know, you have. When I talk about people making decisions to change their lives, normally it, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can just be a little thing that suddenly clicks and so you go in a new direction. But you are amazing. I mean, to go from being not just a member of the Labor Party but the head of the Labor Party to then being part of the Liberal Party what goes through your mind? What has to happen for that uh, huge a change to happen within you? It, it wasn't a hard thing. It, it, it may surprise, but I remember, you know, I was it was uh, 2012, and I, and the Senate position become vacant, and and. I was, went and spoke to headquarters about it and stuff like that. And look, uh, politics is a tough game. It's a really tough, dirty game. It's 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 worse than a than a riot at a football match. It's uh, you know yes. you, you, you for, for everyone's fighting for positions and things. And you be, in fact, there's always you, 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 you have a better relationship with your enemy across the other side of the aisle. Than you, than you have with some people in your own party because they're just out to get your job and you're, you know, and that. Uh, to me, it wasn't very hard. I just sort of, it was, I was a bit over all that fuss. And I remember they, they sent me the paperwork to renew my membership. And, and, I, and I said to my wife, I said, oh, I just got my membership renewal. I said, what should I do? And she said, that's up to you. You know, if you're happy, then do it. If you're not happy, if you're, then don't. And it was really funny. It wasn't that I wasn't happy. It's just I didn't see it as that important anymore. And, I love that. Uh, yeah, and so I didn't. Uh, so I didn't uh, resign it. And so I sort of slipped out of the political area. And and uh, I sort of did. I sort of did, even though I wasn't in a political party or anything like that after the 21st so within a year and a half uh, you know after the 2013 uh, election where the Abbott Liberal Coalition government come to power he rang me up uh, and said look I want to offer you a, a job and I said oh, I've got a job I don't really need a job and he said oh, I want you to chair the Prime Minister's Indigenous Advisory Council and I was thinking, oh, was all right, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> uh, so I thought, I said, look, I'm not, not really interested. And they said, no, I really want you to do it. I, you know, I've, I've read your articles, I've read what you've written, I heard you speak, and, and I thought you have a lot of common sense and I really want to shake this area up. I don't want to be one of the prime ministers that leaves and says, gee, I wish I'd done more. And I said, okay, okay. I said, I'll do it, but I'll do it on my terms. And he said, "Okay, what's your terms?" So then I and we had for the next four weeks. Um, I hope they destroyed the emails, but we're sending <laughs> each other emails about what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, and then we agreed. And the agreement sort of was that I had to, I wanted a small group of people to work with, you know, six yep. or seven. I had to accept that I had twelve because that's what he wanted. Because he had, you know. In a federation, they've got to have people from each state, and they've got to have people from, all, you know, different genders and everything. So, so I had to accept that. And but he had to accept that we were going to do everything in a with an economic with an economic outcome. Uh, so even if it was health, if it was uh, education or whatever, it, it uh, we, we had to get an economic outcome out of it. So, so that was about having healthy workers, having uh, kids, looking up, making sure that women got good health, so they have healthy babies, which then can go to school, etc., etc., etc. Because I, I become very focused on the, I don't know any people in the world who ever got out of poverty without 
an economy without uh, creating businesses and and jobs and educa and education and 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 employment were the two big things we focused on. So you really uh, slid quite comfortably into the Liberal Party. Yes, well, this is, I didn't join the Liberal Party seven years later, um, but uh, but I, I did align with that philosophy of, uh, you know, because it was drummed into me since I was a kid about work being a virtue, about uh, getting out there with your hands dirty and, and taking responsibility for your life and taking responsibility for your own experiences, good, bad and indifferent. And I had a, a sort of a fighter philosophy, you know, mm-hmm. you can, because life is not perfect. Uh, you know, I think one prime minister said life was never meant to be easy, mm-hmm. Malcolm Fraser, uh, that... Uh, and my parents were the same. They said the same things. You know, you'll get knocked down, and, but you've got to get up. You, you, the thing is, you've got to have the fortitude and strength to get up and keep going. And and, and that's what I did when I when I took the position up the prime minister. We, it was a tough job. Anything we did, uh, you were you were murdered, really. You know, because. Yeah because we were doing things differently. We took 115 Aboriginal programs and turned them into five, and people said, well, you just destroyed 145 programs. And we said, no, we didn't. What we did was we, we, we got them together, and this is where my business kicked in, that we could shape them to have better outcomes because we were focusing on outcomes rather than just putting programs up there and processes. We said we want outcomes. And what so, a concept. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. I didn't think it was revolutionary until people started throwing rocks at us. But it was there. But I, I don't care. I had my brothers. I had seven brothers throwing rocks at me and chasing me with picks and shovels when we got into fights. So that, that they didn't worry me too much. It was, um, and so that's what we did. We just kept them ploughing ahead for through that area and simple things, you know, like children's attendance at school. Uh, we wanted to know the data. I couldn't find. I couldn't believe that we couldn't get data because how can you make decisions of that information? And so we just wanted to get. You know, if there's 100 kids in a community and 50 kids um, go to school on Monday and 50 kids go to school on Tuesday, are they the same kids? Yeah, and they're still talking about that today. There was somebody last night uh, talking about about that very same, you'd think, simple data. Um, Your position, because we're running out of time, but your position on The Voice is just such a breath of fresh air. As an Aboriginal, you're saying, and I'll let you say it, Hmm. Well, it's very simple. What I'm saying is that first of all, it's not our culture. Uh, Aboriginal people uh, don't uh, we don't talk about other people's uh, country. We don't we, we don't because it's not our country. That's their spiritual and and thousands of years of life. That's their country. They can only talk for it, their country. I can only talk with my family and and extended family about our country. And we should, and we can't tell each other. You know, we 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 can prosecute a case about what they should be doing, but at the end of the day, they make their decisions. It's their decisions, and we must respect that. And uh, so, yeah. yeah, the bottom the bottom line being, we are all Australians, whether we are indigenous to the country, Correct. or whether we've Correct. come here for other countries or been born here. Well, I had the, the pleasure of going to school. I had 36 kids in my class, and I think I had 36 nationalities, and it was amazing. And, I, and it also opened the world up to me. There was a kid in our class who was, he, ca- he came up to me and he said, I heard you're Aboriginal, and, and this is a kindergarten thing. And, he, and I said, yeah. And I said, where do you come from? And he said, I'm Estonian. And I said, look, I may be a dumb black fellow from the bush, but uh, there's no such place as Estonia. And he said, he's a very smart kid. He took me into the library and, and sat down and opened the atlas up and there it was, Estonia. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we started a conversation, you know, you know Estonia, yeah, what, uh, you know, what's it like being Estonian and, and what food do you eat? And, 
and what language do you, do you speak? And he said Estonian. And uh, it was it just opened my eyes to the world. And so having those conversations. So, uh, you know, we have great people in this country. I think we've got the greatest country in the world. You know, of course, we got, we're got we not perfect. You know, when you've got human beings, human beings aren't perfect. We're never meant to be perfect. Uh, but, we, but we try, you know. I always, yes. uh, I don't judge a country by, the, by its past uh, because every country in the world had a, a bad beginning and dreadful things have been done in every country in the world. I judge a country by how they've confronted those issues and built a future for everyone. And I think, you know, I think exactly. Australia's done a great job in that and, uh, and I'm very proud of Australia yeah. for that. Absolutely. And just like, you know, I, I, my mind boggled with the Black Lives Matter program because it was at a time where we'd had a black president for two terms. Everywhere you looked in every profession at the top were black people and they're talking about black people being subjugated. Uh, lunacy. Oh, it is total lunacy. I, you know, I, I, when I spoke at uh, CPAC on the weekend and I, I told the story about uh, this uh, uh, black British guy who was playing, was playing out in Australia, uh, playing soccer and you know, football, uh, and he was arguing with me that because of my colour of my skin, I'm oppressed. And I said, that's nonsense. I said, you know, then I made the joke, you know, I said, you know, I've got a house on the North Shore. I overlooked Sydney Arbor. I've got, uh, you know, I own two businesses. I sit on corporate boards and, and that. And I said, oh, gee, what, what's, you know, I'm going to love it when they stop oppressing me because I'm, I'm going to be, have enough money to buy Google and, and, and Twitter. Uh, it, it is, it, no matter where you are in life, and that was one thing I loved about my father. It didn't matter if you're the midnight man, and a lot of people wouldn't understand that. That's when uh, we had outdoor dunnies, and the bloke would come around and collect the pans and clean them out and stuff yeah. like that. He, he saw them just as equal to a doctor or a, or a policeman or anyone else he, they, because they were workers. Absolutely. And that was his attitude. And that was his attitude. Yeah. And that's what I love about your attitude too. You have been an absolute pleasure and a delight and I'm so thrilled we managed to do this and I will look forward to further friendship and discussions because uh, I think you're just as fabulous as you do. Oh. <laughs> oh boy, I'm pretty tough bloke on myself, you know. It's, uh, it's yeah. uh, because I, I, you know, I've got very high standards and that for myself. Yes. I and I was my parents taught me that we're all God's children and I must love and respect every person. I can and even if I disagree with them, I've still got to shake their hand and go to the pub and have a beer with them and whatever. Uh, not to have anger and hatred to to people. It it's about how do we get how do we make our short time on the earth uh, a better place for everyone. Well, you've had a wonderful upbringing. You've had great influence. And I thank you for being a guest on Lily High on Life. Thank you very much. And it was very much, you know, life is high. Have fun. And it's it, and you, and you, if you treat people decently, people will treat you decently. And it's a, it's a great world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.